Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey everyone, Dr. Hondorf here, and I think that you are really going to enjoy this conversation that I had with Jesse Holden. So I actually found Jesse randomly Google searching for professionals who are aligned with the Health at Every Size movement and also work with people who are considering or who have had weight loss surgery also known as bariatric surgery. And ironically, she lives incredibly close to me and apparently we have a ton in common, which we learned in this conversation. So it was a really fun one. And I think this one will be interesting to you, certainly if you've had weight loss surgery or you are considering it. But even if you're not, I think a lot of what we're covering here is really it's a just a conversation about both of our experiences and the question, we answer some of these questions like, can a weight inclusive approach, so for example, health at every size or an intuitive eating type approach and pursuing weight loss go together? And she had some interesting thoughts about some of the ways that health at every size and intuitive eating are aligned and how there's some differences there and we need to as professionals really be forthcoming about some of the nuances in these conversations. So we're going to talk about, we talk, we don't talk in depth about weight loss or bariatric surgery. And if you're a listener, you know that I'm not pro or anti-surgery as an option for like weight loss surgery. But we, we really dig into how we as professionals can do our very best to truly support autonomy in these areas and how it's there's a lot of gray here um, we I go on a little bit of a tangent with social media and how we don't think it's the best place to have these nuanced conversations and I go on a little tangent about my social media use and how it's drastically changed in the past six months and why so if you want to hear that but really I, I think in this conversation, what I, I hope you'll get out of it, and I think you'll really, you'll, I think you'll find it fun, is that we really want people, you, to know how to truly make sure that they're 
making autonomous and empowered choices within this sort of weight-inclusive, anti-diet, non-diet, whatever you want to call it, space. And you're, I think you're going to be surprised with some of the things that both of us share that we recommend, um, which might be a little bit different than things you've heard in the past with regards to, for example, what types of accounts you follow on social media. And um, yeah, we dive into a lot of different things. So I'm really looking forward to having you tune into this conversation, and I can't wait to hear what your thoughts are about it. So let's dive in. Do you ever worry that you're wasting your life? I definitely did. In fact, I wrote that in my journal many years ago when I was in the middle of the diet binge roller coaster ride. I woke up every day thinking about food, my body, and what I would eat that day to quote unquote be healthy. The notebooks I had filled with calories and points could fill up a spare bedroom, Social events and vacations immediately prompted the thought, they will notice I've gained weight, or I need to lose weight by then. Deep down, I knew I wasn't living life the way I wanted to, but I didn't know how to pull myself out of it. If this is you, I want you to imagine what it would feel like to feel empowered in your body and proud of your choices on a consistent basis. I promise you this is possible and it isn't too late. You see, dieting steals our motivation. It makes us ineffective and lose faith in ourselves. It keeps us spinning our wheels in a system that was never built to work. If you're ready to take that first step to motivating yourself with what matters to you, download my Cultivate Powerful Motivation Guide, which is quite beautifully designed if I say so myself, and walk through the simple three steps to cultivate motivation that works for you in 15 minutes or less. You'll get a simple formula to write one sentence at the end that you can use to motivate yourself on a daily basis. You can write this sentence on your bathroom mirror, put it on the background of your phone, or just read it and repeat it in your mind consistently. Look, I know how much it hurts to live a life worrying that you're missing out, not stepping into the person that you were truly meant to be. You can listen to the podcast all day, but taking that first step, putting pen to paper or typing on your phone, is required for true lasting change. It's time to start living, my friend. So it's 100% free. What are you waiting for? Grab your free guide today at drhondorp.com forward slash motivate. That's D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash motivate. And before we dive into today's episode, just a reminder that this podcast and corresponding blog are for informational and educational purposes only and should not ever be construed as any form of professional advice. If you are struggling in any of these areas or trying to figure out how this applies to your specific situation, always consult a professional for guidance. All right, let's dive in. All right, so welcome back to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. We have a really um, exciting conversation. So I'm sitting here with Jesse Holden, registered dietitian, who I kind of met randomly, which is pretty funny because we both live very close to one another, but basically I'll tell the listeners our, my little story about how I found you, Jesse. I was um, actually just doing some Google searches for um, a issue that a lot of, a decent amount of one-on-one clients have been presenting with, which is sort of wanting resources for a weight-inclusive approach or a non-diet health at every size aligned approach with um, someone who's either considering having weight loss surgery or bariatric surgery, or 
who already has. And so I was sort of like, um, particularly looking for a dietitian to potentially support someone in that space if they did choose surgery, because um, we'll talk a little bit about this. There's, it was very hard to find people in this space. And I'll actually be interested to hear if that's consistent with your experience, but that is how I found you. You did a podcast specifically on this topic. So, and I found out, we just found out before we hit record, we have a lot in common. So thank you so much for being here today. I'm really looking forward to talking with you about these important topics. I'm so excited to be here and that we were like a hop, skip and a jump away from each other. So now we're going to have to do a real meetup soon too. Yes. Real human contact. So excited. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So let's, um, before we dive into these really important topics, let's hear a little bit about you, a little bit about your story and and some of how you came to doing this work. Yeah. So my name's Jesse, like you said, and I became a dietitian about nine years ago. I started in the field in the community aspect of nutrition. I worked for a local YM, actually the Grand Rapids YMCA, but I got stationed in Muskegon, which is my hometown of Michigan. And I got to teach six week cooking and nutrition basic courses. And it was probably one of the, still one of the most rewarding positions. I mean, every day I was teaching somebody how to chop an onion, how to purchase food, how to grocery shop, how to budget just those, those really core basics that I think everybody benefits from. And then I grew out of that position and I started working um, with the rehab hospital and I worked in a couple different areas. I worked with um, patients with spinal cord injuries. I worked with um, patients who have had strokes. I did some preventative stuff and I also worked within their weight management program. And even now I'm still connected to that hospital, but as I was actually working in that program, I was starting to do my own research because I was working with a lot of women, but definitely some men too. And, and others. So I, I would see quite often what intuitive eating and haze kind of speak out against. <laughs> I would see like the weight cycling. I would see these struggles and these, these shoulds on people. So I was like, okay, there, I'm missing something. Like I want to do more research. So then I honestly just started kind of like you said, I started Googling and I, I found haze, the health at every size. I found intuitive eating and it, it has changed so much of what I do, not everything. Cause I actually feel like some things I used to teach, like were aligned, even if I wasn't aware of it. Um, but it was really eye opening to see that there's a lot of research backing a lot of the stuff that I was reading. And that's what I liked the most. Like I'm not someone who's just going to find like a, a theory, <laughs> right? Like I wanted mm-hmm. to see actual see research data. and scientific data. Yeah. To support yeah. it. So that's kind of how I came into it. And even though I started in like that weight management perspective, I've really evolved. I don't want to say completely away from that because I'm supportive of whoever wants to go through whatever it's their choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I practice now from a much more like haze and intuitive eating lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How has that transition been for you? Because it Yeah. Can you speak to how that was for you? Was it gradual? Was it like you dove into finding health at every size and intuitive eating and it totally shifted things? What did that look like? It, so me personally, it totally shifted everything. And I dove, like, as soon as I got, I should have my book like right behind me. As soon as I got the book, I was like reading every night. I was like 
falling in love with it, honestly. And I was like, this is amazing. This is the work that I feel so aligned with. This is amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also had a very, for a long time, I had a lot of tug of war happening with myself because I was still practicing in a weight centric clinic. I mean, it was weight centric. Mm -hmm. I think I wanted it to be weight more weight inclusive. And I think, I think we made it that in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of my personal like clients there like we, we have stayed in touch for like six years now as <laughs> I've been with that. And, you know, they've said like, no, you totally are aligned with that. I'm like, I get like, we have some really amazing conversations. Um, mm-hmm. but I ended up doing more of a separation from it because I, I could not take like the push and pull anymore because not everybody was aligned with my beliefs and, and that's fine. You know, again, mm-hmm. everyone can have their own, but so like personally dove in professionally, I felt like I was like, it on a fence or being like tugged from both sides. And I didn't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you went, um, off on your own, how recently, um, within the last year or so. Mm-hmm. So it was like, well, actually probably the last two years, <laughs> the pandemic has made me lose time. Sense weird. Of time. <laughs> yes. Um, but I had my son and it was pretty much after that, that I was just like, I'm, I need to be done with this. I want to go on my own. So I, I do um, private practice. I'm working on like cooking courses. Cause that is, like I said, that's like my core. I want to people to be in the kitchen and to have a healthy relationship, but everyone I work with, like through intuitive eating or through Hayes alignment, the kitchen is like sometimes a really scary place to be. So that's where I've like found like my home is mm-hmm. being in the kitchen, helping people rebuild that healthy relationship with food. Mm-hmm. but also reserve their autonomy. Cause like I said, I don't know any client that has come to me and not wanted to talk about weight loss or at least have that be part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Like they, mm-hmm. they want to talk to someone about that and I'm here for it. Yes. And, um, I actually don't know. So where you were working, you said you worked in a weight management program, like behavioral weight management, meaning like non-surgical weight management, correct. But mm-hmm. also working with uh, surgery and surgical weight management, correct? You had both of those experiences. So yes, I have both experiences, not so much that I like worked solely with a surgical weight management clinic. I Mm -hmm. saw patients like after those clinic, after they went through that typically, or I would do both. I would do outpatient work where I'd see people before they wanted to pursue surgery after Mm -hmm. they pursued surgery, or sometimes those people who did or didn't were in our program, whether they were preparing for surgery or what have you. Yeah. So even though not with a standard program per Mm -hmm. se, like I was, uh, it was still, you were still having these conversations, um, potentially uh, or not potentially before and after. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I wonder, so I guess let's start first with this idea of like, and I think you've already kind of answered it, but like being health at every size aligned, can we also talk about weight loss surgery? Like, can the two even go together? Like, let's start there. Yeah. You know, personally, personally, I believe they, they can, I think it comes with a lot of nuance. I, and I think that's what becomes so polarizing, at least when I see things about it in like social media world. Cause like I said, I feel like I'm very haze aligned. I follow a lot of intuitive principles. I walk people through the workbook, but every conversation I've had usually starts with, I'm really desiring to lose weight and, or I want weight loss surgery. I want this. Like, and so I think the thing that I find most important to remember about Hayes and what I'd want more practitioners to remember is that people have autonomy and Hayes is kind of about reclaiming that autonomy. 
So it's not saying that like you're not allowed to want to lose weight. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like but I think that's what gets mm-hmm. interpreted a lot. And patients end up feeling like, well, I feel I feel guilty because I want to make this change. And it's like, oh yeah. no, yeah, <laughs> we're not they, helping. That's not helping. <laughs> right. They feel shame for having that desire. Or even mm-hmm. um, I've had this a number of times in one-on-one sessions or in our program, they're like, oops, I said weight loss or something, or like, sort of like, oh, sorry, or like almost apologetic or feeling yeah. shame around it. And that is not the intention, but that does get lost in the message a lot of times, right? Mm-hmm. Because, and then that ends up doing inadvertent, like harm potentially, <laughs> because it's oh, causing absolutely. stress. Yes, causing stress, causing self doubt, self like confusion. And so, um, I actually had a recent conversation with someone about this, that like, we, we love Hayes. We, we love the principles of it. We love the community that's growing and the pledges. It's all great, but it is impacting people sometimes negatively when we're not open to even talking about someone's desire to lose weight. I'm not saying like, you have to do this for your health. That's very different mm-hmm. than saying, oh, you want to pursue weight loss surgery. Okay. That's mm-hmm. your choice of your body. And so like health at every size, you know, I know they say like, we're not saying everybody is healthy at every size, but everybody's deserving of finding out, you know, what that really looks like and means to them. And as mm-hmm. professionals in different areas, I think we, and not, I guess you don't have to, but like, I think we owe it to anybody who wants to have both worlds and who wants to figure out their own balance with it. I think they have a right to do that. And I'd much rather support that than be like, nope, I don't talk about weight. (laughs) Right. I don't talk about weight loss. That's bad. That's, um, and, and I don't, yeah, I'm I'm with you and so much. And and I think that this is just, again, I think probably you maybe had more conversations about it than I have thus, thus, thus far, but I don't hear people talking about the in-between very much. And which is why I obviously, um, brought you on here. Yeah. And, and my, what I've seen that I think is happening quite a bit lately, which is why I was on this Google search is, um, many times dietitians. And if it's a dietitian listening to this and you worked with me, this is not just you. It was not one person and there's nothing <laughs> bad to feel bad about with this interaction. But what would happen is there might be an, um, health at every size aligned intuitive eating dietitian who wasn't comfortable working with someone who did decide to pursue surgery and Mm -hmm. they said it in a very kind way, but there was two aspects that I think undermined patient autonomy inadvertently, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I think the many times there's fears about what it means to pursue surgery for this person and fears about risk. And so the, the dietitian would sort of talk about the risks and share resources that were very risk heavy. I'm talking a lot about like some podcasts that are talking about the risks of surgery that aren't talked about. But there was a couple aspects to that. One, it's you're kind of giving this message that like, and and on that podcast specifically, because I listened to it, the one that was shared with the client, um, Mm -hmm. the the message that was given was, um, I don't think these surgeries are good ideas, but you have body autonomy. And I I guess to me, that didn't that didn't feel quite aligned (laughs) because if they're never good ideas ever, but you can choose it, there's judgment inherent in that. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that feels problematic to me. 
Yeah, I, th- I think because it is problematic. And I think that's why these lines get really, um, I think they either stay very blurry or they get very black and white. And I really want more people to see this gray space in between. Um, and to, I guess I even think like lift up those voices who are in between, because if you're on this fence of like black and white, no, we don't talk about weight loss. We don't do, I don't recommend surgery, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Or it's, well, I mean, you can, but it's risky, but I'm not really going to support you. <laughs> it's like, well, right. that's, uh, neither one is very helpful. Right. Yes. Or like, even I can't work with you. And I understand like if someone mm-hmm. is uncomfortable working with surgery, but there's some of that is they don't have the experience and I get that, but, mm-hmm. but some of it is like morally, they don't feel comfortable, which again, that's their choice as a, mm-hmm. as a provider, we all get to choose what we're comfortable with. But then that ends up making the person feel sort of rejected if they choose this choice and, and feel yeah. anxious. And so again, there's like, there's several different parts to that, that undermines true autonomy, which is freedom of choice without excessive mm-hmm. pressure. We yeah. want to be like, you truly, here's some options on this side. Here's some options on this side. What mm-hmm. do you think is best for you? And mm-hmm. I don't see that happening a ton in this space. I don't either. And I, and it's hard because I think I've um, myself tried to be in that space and you get a lot of heat for it. Like you get a lot of you're doing it wrong. And I'm like, I didn't understand that there was a wrong (laughs) way. And I did. So I'm going to back up just a little bit. I do think there are some wrong intentional practices happening around intuitive eating, not so much haze. And I actually think the two are kind of, they're kind of different. They're aligned, but there's some differences like you oh yeah you, say more about this yeah I'm, <laughs> so, I'm intrigued <laughs> um, yeah so like intuitive eating when I discovered haze I fell into intuitive eating I didn't find intuitive eating first and so mm-hmm. intuitive eating as a practice is not something that I should take this workbook and I, as a dietitian I'm not going to go around saying I'm going to teach you this workbook and I'm going to solve your weight problems or I'm going to help you lose weight by going through this workbook that's not the point of intuitive eating, but health at every size, it kind of wants to reserve that autonomy and say, like, you can find whatever feels best for your body and whatever way you want to pursue that is like your prerogative and your choice. Mm -hmm. But I think as a professional, I think if you're not willing to have those conversations, not only are you missing out on maybe some potential amazing conversations, you actually become a bit a part of the problem. I think, I think it's kind of part of the problem because it ends up making that person feel judgment and it makes them feel shame for even desiring it. I've had people come up to me who I've worked with who are like, so I kind of want to talk about weight loss surgery. And I don't know, like, like, is that okay? I'm like, that's your choice. Of course you can pursue that if you want to. And then they're yeah. like, Oh, like what? Yeah. And I was they're like, well, very nervous about, yeah. Yeah. Talking about it and that you won't approve, Mm -hmm. right. That I won't approve and like support them or support them. And I think that is something to just consider when like people are, like you said, we can pick and choose like who we want to work with, but messaging is really important and it's really powerful. And if you are promoting something and you are still implying judgment on other people, then there's still work to be done in that Mm -hmm. space. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think I think you can find a balance between both and not every, not every dietitian or psychologist or doctor or whoever wants to do that 
but I just don't, I don't want to be polarized from people. And I don't want to tell people like, well, it's bad if you pursue that. So I don't want to work with you. This is the way it's like, I'm also not in their body. And I don't know if you've talked with people about that, but like, I think that's something else very missed with intuitive eating and hate. And I guess even I see it more in the intuitive eating world on like social media. Like I don't see a lot of people who are in the body size, maybe a much larger body size. That is a very different experience from somebody who goes through intuitive eating and is in a body or stays in a body as they go through intuitive eating that is like morally acceptable in society. Mm -hmm. That is a very different situation. And Mm -hmm. I just, I get really frustrated with certain either dietitians or anybody who haven't maybe talked about their thin privilege or how it might be different if you're in a bigger body might feel different. Yeah, I do. I think I say that quite a lot in, in like just this idea of like, and, and I, these are the nuanced conversations and I, and I'd be curious your thoughts on like, um, the, you know, the specific situation of someone is considering surgery and they come mm-hmm. to you kind of weighing the pros and cons. Cause often if they haven't heard about health at every size, I start to mm-hmm. talk about like this approach. And I talk about like decoupling weight and health and really mm-hmm. trying to like help them to see that there's a lot of misconceptions there. And also I'm not in your body. And also mm-hmm. we can decouple these things and realize like, there are probably a lot of ways that you could improve risk of disease, mobility mm-hmm. without weight loss. And also I'm not in your body <laughs> and I don't know what yeah. you get to decide what feels like the best option for you. And I've had mm-hmm. a number of those conversations recently of like the, Um, and I think they've hopefully been helpful, um, but where they come out of it and they may still decide this, this choice feels best for me for whatever reason, there's no, like, there's not a right or wrong reason why either (laughs) they might. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I'm curious what, what do you want people to know if they are in that space, um, now perhaps where they're like. I, I like this weight inclusive approach, but I'm considering uh, weight loss surgery. Um, what mm-hmm. would you want them to understand? I think I'd want them. I think I would probably, like you said, I'd start presenting ideas. I don't present them with like the, I, tr- I try my hardest not to present them with bias, right? Not to say like, not to try to intentionally sway somebody. I try to present mm-hmm. facts and I say, okay, well, let's talk about it. And first of all, I like to ask, like, why are you pursuing this? You know, out of yeah. pure curiosity, can you help me understand why you're doing this? A lot of times that opens up um, the stories. It opens up, I've struggled with this my whole life. And, and then I might even just ask them, like, have you ever heard of like health at every size? Have you considered like, what, like, what do you think defines you being healthy? And then if it, if the topic goes like, well, it's about my weight. I'm like, well, let's just talk about it. Like, and and I usually ask permission, which is something else I think is sometimes missed in different types of medical or different appointments. I ask like, do you want to learn about this? And they're like, yes, I'm interested. Or I have had people say, I'm really not like, I just kind of want to do this. And yeah, that's fine. Like that is, yeah, it's a good point. Again, their choice. So like asking permission, something I usually do, like, I want to know why you want to do this. Cause you're coming to me for help. Um, but I also want to know if like, you're open to talking about not let necessarily different options, but different, like all inclusive 
parts of this is that like you can be healthy at any size. I'm not in your body, so I can't tell you what that exactly feels like for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of experiences have you had? Can we break some of those down? How have those impacted you? What's, and I do usually like to ask, of course, as a dietitian, like, can we go over like what you typically eat like, or what it feels like to eat throughout your day? And that's usually, at least for me, where the conversation then goes into quite often, we end up talking about emotional eating. We talk about eating way too little. I I'm scared about how much I see that. Like, and I I have to say it's like 90% of every like day I do clinical work or outpatient work or anything. I'm going over somebody's food with them and like kind of how they typically eat. And I say, there's, there's no good, bad foods. I do not care what you eat. Mm-hmm. I don't, I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are eating so little and I'm just like, Whoa, would you be open to eating more? Like, let me just explain what might be happening here. And a lot of times that can help people click. And again, if they're like, yeah, I still want to pursue surgery. I'm like, okay, that's great. Like, I'm glad you're like feeling like you have both angles. And if you want to pursue that, cool. I'm here for conversations before, during, or after that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting to hear you say that. Cause I do less of the date. I mean, I, I certainly do talk about eating and I have people tracking sometimes and, mm-hmm. but it's, and, and that is very common with people that I work with too, but I also now have a very select sample um, of like typically people struggling with some degree of chronic dieting and binge eating. And yeah. it is like, it's the under eating that we're targeting almost yep all of the time. <laughs> and so almost all think, of the time mm-hmm. and everyone thinks they have to reduce the overeating and that's the problem. And it's like, well, actually no, the undereating or restricting is causing. And, mm-hmm. and so that's, I mean, it's, it's interesting and yet not surprising. I think that as I talk it out, but it's like, and you're working with, I mean, different populations too, at this, in the hospital setting, I would imagine, mm-hmm. although I'm sure you have somewhat of a select sample in your practice now, yeah. but, um, but yeah, like eating more. And so that's, that's a really important thing, but also what you said of this, and this doesn't happen a lot. Yeah. The permission, asking permission of like, is this something you want to learn about? And, and just checking that first of all, before we, because a lot of times what happens in this space is like projection of our own fears, Mm -hmm. um, as a provider onto the person which mm-hmm. we do not want to do, of course. Yes. Yeah. And, and projections of our own beliefs as well. We certainly don't want to do that. Um, I, I see a lot of that in, in the space of like fears about what if, what if I allow this person to do this and then something bad happens, it comes from probably a really good place. Um, mm-hmm. but that is, I mean, it's also many times like a very biased sample like there are risks and and then also I don't know how you approach like talking about the risks that's something that I've sort of been navigating but like it's Mm -hmm. also kind of challenging like and do you gear it towards what the person wants to know or do you feel like there's like certain things I have to go over I'm curious what your your thoughts are if you're having this conversation yeah I mean from a nutrition standpoint I think the biggest risks I like to go over are like malabsorption meeting your body's needs um and I think I think part of what I really like to go over is like what's your relationship with food like right now because and I am pretty blunt and I say like I don't believe surgery is going to solve relationships with food 
it is going to change your body's anatomy possibly, or cause some physical changes in the way that you're able to eat. Um, however, we still underlyingly need to address like overall relationship with food. And I'm pretty honest about that. I say like, that's mm-hmm. a, a thing I've seen with most people who pursue whatever route of weight loss they pursue surgical or non. And I say like, again, totally your choice. I think healing your relationship with food will be helpful no matter what route you choose. Yeah. And usually that gets people curious and they're like, well, what does that mean? Some people know. And sometimes people are like, I don't care about that. And then that's fine. <laughs> I still, yeah. then I might go over like, um, because I do have some background and training of like specific nutrients that are very much a concern after surgery that we just want to make sure that you're supported. And that like, if that's the route you mm-hmm. choose, I don't want you to become so malnourished because that can happen at any size, which is another like misconception that malnourishment is only for like a thin person. Right. Um, I see like the nutrient part of it. And I just want people to be aware that like, there's a long-term commitment and making sure that you don't become malnourished because that's really important. And, um, and a lot of times too, I think sometimes that's presented to them, but I do unfortunately see a lot of people post-surgery not going to their appointments and, or maybe they have found a weight inclusive approach. And so then they don't want to pursue that anymore, but Mm -hmm. that nutrient and that vitamin piece is still pretty important. So Mm -hmm. if someone, again, if someone wants to talk to me about that, like I am going to bring up, there's some needs we need to make sure you're, you're hitting whether through supplement or food and it's, it it gets complicated, but it's, to me, it's very rewarding because I want to help people who want to pursue whatever they want to pursue. Yeah. And I'm here for it. Yeah. I think it's so important what, I mean, and one of the take-homes for people like, cause one of my questions was like, what if someone's post-surgery, right? They've made this decision. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that like, if they're listening to this podcast, they might either be all in on the weight inclusive approach or at least yeah. interested. Right. And, uh-huh. and so that can be great because they can find a, uh, hopefully like a community that feels helpful to them. And of course that can be very different than how they might feel going into a weight loss clinic. And also like, I guess one, I mean, continuing to follow up though with the, the medical providers in the clinic. And, um, I guess if they're lucky enough to find someone like you, like a dietitian, that would be wonderful as well. That can continue mm-hmm. to provide that additional support. Um, yeah. I think it really speaks to how much more need there is in this area. I'm, oh yeah. Cause I don't, you're the only one I've ever found that's doing this specific work. Maybe you can refer me to others, but like it took, I don't know. I don't think, do you think there's a lot of people doing the work that you're doing in, in these intersections of these areas? I want to say yes, I really do because I I feel like I see, okay. I feel like there is people, but I'm not seeing it. Okay. (laughs) Like I'm I'm so like, I'm seeing like strictly social media, like, cause I'm connected to a lot of different dietitians as Mm -hmm. I was going through the intuitive eating workbook. Cause I was like learning more about it. I'm reading into it. I find all these people, but I find a lot of their posts kind of, um, not necessarily hard to read, but I'm just like, is that really, is that like, posts and social media and articles, they, they end up becoming very like black and white to me or very all or nothing. And I think, Mm -hmm. yeah. And like, so I've, I know one specific person I'm thinking of that she strictly focuses on people who want to pursue again, bariatric surgery. And, um, and she, but she's like, I practice from this and I bring in these principles of intuitive eating. And I think that's something else that gets missed 
in this work. And I don't know if a, I don't know a ton of other dietitians doing it this way that like, I love all the principles of intuitive eating. Not every one of my clients does, and they don't, they are not interested in learning every single principle and becoming intuitive. Like, cause some people are getting frustrated with that term and feeling like they're not allowed to pursue anything without it being diet or intuitive eating. Like, yeah. so again, yeah. it becomes that polarized factor. So right. I want to say there's, I'm sure there's more people doing it. Mm-hmm. I just don't think they're, I think sometimes they're a little bit more scared to post things because this issue is becoming so polarizing. And then they mm-hmm. run the risk of people and maybe other professionals saying you're doing a bad thing because you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Right. Right. uh. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, um, a really important point because, and I will say, I asked that question, but I know dietitians that work in surgery clinics who are very aligned with what we're talking about. So Mm -hmm. I do think people are doing this work. However, many times they're like, they're at that clinic. So they're not accessible beyond someone who specifically chooses surgery at that clinic. And and also what if someone like, yeah, so that's the first point, but then you bring up a really important point that I'm seeing all of the time in the field. And, and one of my, I would say like goals, maybe secondary, maybe primary of this podcast is to have obviously conversations like this, but because social media, I kind of am down a rabbit hole of like social media is the root of all of our problems, which is probably (laughs) an oversimplification, but like, I am very, very concerned about the impact of social media on our mental well-being, on our lack of social connection. And professionally, I'm very concerned coming Mm -hmm. from the clinics I've been in, coming from healthcare, seeing a lot of good work happening in there. And then seeing this other extreme of, um, I would say health at every size intuitive eating. I, I kind of, I do lump those together. And I think it's interesting how you talked about them somewhat separately, which I, I do mm-hmm. understand that. Mm-hmm. And there's all this, um, middle ground and nuance that, um, I, I strongly believe after doing this podcast for a year that social media could be an initial touch point to bring people into this world. I think we need to jump off social media for teaching these topics. I do Mm -hmm. not think the nuance of this should be taught on social media, Mm -hmm. if nothing else, because I don't think we should be spending all day looking at stories on social media, but that is my, that is my hot take. I don't sure my (laughs) listeners would be like, whatever, Sean, (laughs) like (laughs) they might, I don't know. My, I don't know. My listeners are on board with that too, but No, Um, it's so true. And I'm very, I'm very picky with myself about what I choose to post on social media. And I'm like, (laughs) I want to use the word like agonizing. Sometimes I'm looking at a post and I'm like, now who am I going to like, who is this going to impact? Like, is somebody going to read this and feel like I'm doing something wrong because I'm not following what she says or this. So like, I know I completely agree. And I think social media is the root of all well, Okay, we're a, there's two of us at least. I don't think yeah. we're the only ones. No, I yeah. don't think so either. People it's can watch the, the social dilemma to yes. um which I thought it was just gonna make me wanna be off screens for my own mental well-being, but to me that specific documentary is on Netflix if anyone wants to watch it. It mm. to me showed why we're so polarized. And that's I think the bigger problem with social media in some yeah. ways is it's separating humans more because of these things, or because there's a sense of, uh, we talk a lot on this podcast about motivation and a sense of belonging is so essential to motivation and even professional belonging, right? Like that's actually kind of what we're talking about here is this like professional belonging, um, and being willing to like 
not go with the status quo 100% and, mm -hmm. and how much fear there is of rejection from other professionals or fear of offending people. And, that, and yet we end up doing harm sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think what's kind of interesting about social media and intuitive eating and haze is it ends up like, let me, I'm trying to think of how I want to word this. Like, so diet culture, if you think about like this billion trillion dollar industry has had the loudest voice in the room for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think haze and intuitive eating are trying to be that other voice. Yes. But this gray area is getting like completely lost on people. So in the, like, even with social media, with a lot of my one-on-one -on -one clients, we actually work on getting either completely away from social media or sometimes I have them unfollow intuitive eating accounts and even gentle nutrition accounts. Cause sometimes for them just seeing that post, they're like, wait, what am I doing wrong? Like I thought I, I want a salad. Am I not allowed to have a salad because that's diet cult? Like it, yes. it actually makes them just continuously question themselves, themselves and decreases their confidence in their choices. So a lot of times I'm actually having them unfollow like both maybe diet culture-y and like um weight centric that it's like this is the only way mm -hmm. but same with intuitive eating if that's getting promoted in a way that's not helping you then stepping away from that specifically in social media can be really helpful yeah I think that's that's a, f a really fascinating point and and makes a lot of sense and and one of the issues with social media is like it's you are bombarded with information 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 and also if any one of those, we don't need help eliciting self-doubt in this process. Like no. we're all set right. on like relearning to trust our body. Like <laughs> I'm good on, on the self-doubt. I'm all set with that. And it's like, yeah, just in general, right? Like I, yeah, self-doubt is, I have a lot of self-doubt. I don't have as much in like my relationship with food anymore, which is great, but like, yeah. I don't need any help. <laughs> so yeah, right. don't need help with self-doubt. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's, that's fascinating. That. And I think that's such a good point is like, cause I, I think sometimes I, and, and we'll kind of talk about like following people that like diverse bodies can be nice just because we don't see that. But, but if it's specifically talking about principles in ways that that's not helpful, like that's okay to unfollow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important point of like, when we curate social media, if we choose to be on it, mm -hmm. then really being intentional and knowing like there may be specifically aligned people that you do unfollow. That's yeah, really good. Absolutely. Point. Because I, I just think, and I think social media, oh, I think they want that. I mean, they want polarizing. They want arguments. They want like people to come out and they like, and I, I, I don't like that about sometimes again, the posts I see in the intuitive meeting world, because I find them so polarizing and I'm like, okay, good for you. You're getting all these comments. You're getting like this arguments and these things happening in the comments section. Did you, did that help people? Do you feel good about that? Right. <laughs> I, right. I, I struggle with that. And yeah. Cause they're, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was gonna say there's one person I'm thinking of and she, I'm just always kind of waiting for her next post because she's very interesting in what she calls out with the intuitive eating world. And so she's like, she'll say things like, are we not going to talk about the fact that most people promoting intuitive eating are thin white women? Like, and I'm like, yeah, we do need to talk about that. We do need to have yeah. those conversations. I don't really think social media is always the best place to do that though. Right. Yeah. Like any nuanced conversation probably doesn't need to be taking place on social media because 
what when has good ever come of that it's a good question it's a great topic it's very mm-hmm. important and it's probably not the place to do it because yeah. and yeah they people are incentivized for their account to grow to get more comments and engagement they're incentivized to post stories i was just i have literally one person who I used to follow. I've followed one Instagram influencer in my life. She was someone years ago when I had my daughter, she had like a a late night nursing feed and someone's like, follow this person. And she has like a ton of followers and she was linking clothes. And it was like the only person I ever bought, like a couple old Navy sweaters from anyway, (laughs) I've never followed any influencers for like that purpose. But interestingly, she had, was making a lot of money but she was a physician assistant. She's like a mom and she was great to follow. She, and then she started talking about COVID, but. Oh no. <laughs> she, no, all of that was fine. Good. Although yeah. she ended up getting off. She's the reason, uh, this is sort of a tangent, but I, That's in okay. case you're interested, but like, yeah. she's the reason that I read digital minimalism. She's the reason we got off all screens last August. And she's the reason I've had a completely different view of social media and how I use it in my business, but she ended up completely deleting her account and she Mm -hmm. is now off and she has a podcast series right now. It's um, motherhood meets medicine. If anyone's like, what are you talking about, Sean? What are, (laughs) but it's fascinating to hear her experiences of getting sucked into Instagram as an influencer and Mm -hmm. how much it deteriorated her mental health. And she Mm -hmm. didn't even realize it and how much she was incentivized to be on there posting stuff that has people swiping up and buying something on immediately that they probably don't need. Mm-hmm. She didn't talk about intuitive eating. This is it. So that's why it's yeah. a bit of a tangent, but I do think, again, these platforms are designed for one thing to keep us on the platforms and they're not designed to be effective teaching platforms. They're not designed to be mm-hmm. effective nuanced conversation, having platforms mm-hmm. and, and there's so much good in this, like you called it the gray space. There's so much empowerment in mm-hmm. in this space there's so much opportunity to help people feel like they can trust themselves <laughs> and yeah and yeah. um so yeah I, I just appreciate your your thoughts on this because I don't um I, I do think it's being talked about more in in mm-hmm. a more nuanced way uh and I think we need I think we need more of it so mm-hmm. I think it's, I think you can't have the conversation of like, this is all about you trusting yourself, but I'm going to tell you to stop pursuing weight loss. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't feel yeah. like you can really say those two things together. Now, again, you can say, I do not teach intuitive eating with the goal of having you lose weight. And I, I'm pretty open about that with my patients. Like I'm not here to like, mark your weight every week just like to say oh you lost two pounds like let's talk about that like I used to be and that's also fine um I bet those conversations are still there they haven't disappeared they don't go away and I want people to feel comfortable like we can talk about this we can talk about that like maybe yeah. our goals are different but that's also pretty normal like you right you don't want to have the exact same goals you want to have some of those dynamics and those conversations and allow someone to be an individual and to learn to actually trust themselves. And I think some of this polarization is really disrupting that. Yeah. I love that. It's informed choice, right? It's to say Mm -hmm. like, here's what we know so far about an an intuitive eating approach. Here's what I can offer. Here's what we know from data. Here's what I know from my experience working with people. Mm -hmm. And 
and we'll see how it maps on for you and, and yes. we can't, but, um, but, and then allowing that person to say, that sounds good to me, or this is the part mm -hmm. I want to take from that. And, mm -hmm. and this is the part I don't. And, and I love that too, that you're kind of giving these options of like, maybe, maybe we don't follow all the principles and that's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we don't think about it in this specific way, or maybe you still in your own way are pretty focused on weight loss and, and that's okay too. Like that can all be part of the, this, um, mix here of mm -hmm. how we approach really a, a complicated set of topics. Uh, yeah. I, I will say, I feel like when I've done some recent like group classes that I've been teaching, I actually pulled something from the intuitive eating workbook. And we talked about the different inner voices, like your, um, destructive dieting voices versus your inner food ally voices. But those, a lot of those people are still actively pursuing weight loss. Again, that's and in groups, it can be kind of hard. You have to really, <laughs> you got to be prepared for groups and different dynamics. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's kind of a beautiful thing. And you can, you can teach things from this. I'm not telling people I'm going to cure you with this and that, but I'm going to still present yeah. you with options and education and information, because whether you are pursuing bariatric, right, like surgical, non-surgical, whether that's not a concern for you at all. And that's not what you want to do. I think everyone still deserves to hear all options and mm -hmm. then choose for themselves what feels best for them. Yeah. I love that. We'll, um, we'll move on to our, our questions that we ask everyone, but before we do so, are there any, um, kind of main takeaways you hope that people take from our conversation today? Any things that you're like, if you're in this space, here's what I want you to know. I think I just want you to know that you're not alone. Cause I really, I think I feel that with a lot of people who reach out to me, they feel very alone and they feel like they're not allowed to want to lose weight. They feel like they're not allowed to have dressing on the side if that's what they want, because it it's, it makes them question themselves. And I think if anything, I just want you to know, you're not alone. You're not the only one thinking about these things. And there are people who are here for those conversations and Social media may not always be the best place to look, but hey, I'm glad Google connected you and I. Yes. <laughs> so maybe, some maybe things are some good things are happening on the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love that. I think that's very important. And um, as you're saying that, I'm sort of picturing like certain people that I I know will benefit from from hearing that message. And so yeah. they're listening, great. But I know there's other people just like them of this. Mm -hmm. Um. I actually remember within our, our program, I think I had said something, oh, I forget what the statement was, but someone was saying that statement really stuck with them. It was sort of like, it was something along the lines of like, you can move away from diet mentality and still choose to not have certain foods in your home. If that feels like the right choice for you. I think that's what it was. It was some yeah. statement like that, that to me felt somewhat simple and it stuck with them. Um, mm -hmm because we get this idea of like intuitive eating has to mean bring all the foods into your home that you don't usually eat. And it doesn't, yes. it, like the whole point of this is freeing up self-trust to make that choice mm -hmm. that feels best to you. And that can look vastly different for different people. Yeah. I, that is a really important piece too. I mean, that, cause that's the unconditional permission, right. That we talk about with intuitive eating, but I've told people just because we want to help you not feel restrictive so that if you do bring that food into your home, it doesn't feel like a frenzy. It doesn't feel like frantic and scary, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you have to bring it into your home. You still have that. choice, And I think that gets very lost in this world too. 
Yeah. It's interesting because um, I share in the podcast that like I used to struggle with my relationship with food and, and I don't now. Um, and, and sometimes I almost doubt myself a little bit of like, cause there's foods that I don't bring into the home mm-hmm. simply because I, I mean, I'll just eat more of them and there's, I have no judgment about eating more of them at mm-hmm. all. I'm just like, and I all bring them in the home sometimes, but like mm-hmm. if they're there, like I am prone to like eating a lot of Girl Scout cookies. And I did recently bring an, a yeah. lot in and I ate a number of them and I was fine with that, but I won't uh-huh. like keep buying more and more. And, mm-hmm. and that's my choice. <laughs> like, I think choice. Exactly. it's like, there's no right or wrong with that. And mm-hmm. um, it's just interesting. I mean, it's fine. To, it's good in some ways for me to be like, let me just reflect and make sure this isn't like restrictive and it really, really wasn't at all. Yep. (laughs) And I think, and that's the thing that when people are questioning that, like, did I do this because of this or that? And if they don't have that like support or those inner voices or somebody that they could even bounce that idea off of just to reassure themselves, because otherwise then they end up like that can cause like that downward spiral. Right. And sure. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. falling back in old thinking patterns. I'm doing this wrong. And it's like, mm-hmm. and even me, like having done this work and doing this work professionally, I'm like, uh-huh. I think I'm good. And they're like, no, I am. But even, mm-hmm. you know, having these conversations, even just having this conversation today, it's like, I hadn't really talked about that. There can be so much shame tied up in this. And, um, mm-hmm. and it's just incredible how much that impacts people. So, yes. Yeah. hundred percent. So we'll move on to our final questions that we ask everyone. So the first one is our intrinsic motivation question, which is what is one thing you have truly intrinsic motivation for? So you do it for the inherent satisfaction from the behavior itself. You enjoy it, find it challenging and or satisfying something about the behavior in its own right is intrinsically motivating. um, Dance is that for me. When I read that question, like all I could think of was dance. I've danced since I was five years old. So I used to do competitive dancing. Yeah. And I, I still, um, one of my closest friends opened up a dance studio after the one that we all worked at, like shut down uh-huh. and then we all worked together and like dance there. And uh-huh. especially even after having my son, like dance has just been like one of the things that just feels so good to me. And it could just be like standing dancing. It could be full on like temporary and point and tap and everything. It could be just dancing in my kitchen with my husband or my son, like it, that is like the first thing that popped into my head with that question. That's incredible. So you do all kinds of dance still, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I teach. Yeah. I still teach a lot of like, I do a lot of like little kids like ballet and tap. And then we do contemporary. I teach musical theater, which has been what? really fun. I love that is amazing. Theater. Yeah. <laughs> I just, um, I don't, I think I've talked about this on the podcast. I'm not sure, but I just joined, I danced growing up, but I never did tap and I just started adult tap. So, oh my God. See, we still have so much more to talk about. I know. About. We're going to go tap dancing together. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It is so challenging and fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's, that's amazing. I love that answer. Um, and our next question is from a should to a choose to, this is our integrated motivation question. So this is an example of a behavior that was always a should for you that you maybe struggled to do consistently, but you found a way to do it more consistently because you value it. Maybe even, even if you don't always love it per se. Yeah. So the first veggies actually were the first thing that came to me. So I think, and then this could go into like a big tangent, so I'll keep it short, but like, (laughs) I definitely think even before and like during early days, before I became a dietitian, I was going to school for it. I shoulded on myself all the time. I would say like, I should eat veggies. Like I'm a dietitian. I should be eating avocado and hemp and all this stuff. I should be (laughs) 
doing it like organic and sell like I had a very like just interesting viewpoint because I think I always felt like hypocritical like if I, if someone saw me eating something that wasn't like yeah the healthy choice that they would it was go, almost oh, like the health is um on yourself with like the because of being a dietitian yeah totally totally so I had to do a lot of my own healing work with that and um and that didn't even come like just from intuitive eating it just started coming from like okay what what the heck do I want <laughs> like what actually feels good and I learned like yeah, sometimes it just feels great to have this. And I do like vegetables. And, and a lot of that comes to now with being a dietitian, like people typically say like, Ooh, what's the dietitian going to order? And I have had oh. to do more of that. Like I can choose whatever I want. And like, yes. and that takes work too, for anybody, but I think dietitians get a lot of that. Like, don't look at my food. And I think you guys get that a lot. <laughs> we do, like, I feel like, like I've heard that from like all my dietitian friends. <laughs> like that yeah, sounds so- really annoying. <laughs> It, it, it is kind of annoying. And so like, even before it, like I had to work on like, instead of I should eat vegetables, it's now it really is more of a, like, I choose to do this because it feels great. And I love the color and I love the way I've like cooked them and taste them and everything, but, um, it's not a, a should anymore, which is very freeing. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. That is important. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, <laughs> And then, so a main part of our mission here at Psychology of Wellness in this podcast is to help people reclaim trust with their bodies so they can live more courageous and connected lives. Um, And I'm wondering, I guess we didn't specifically talk about how much you were caught in this cycle yourself, but whether or not you were caught in it and got out of it, or if you can just share some examples of, um, you know, places where you feel like you're able to build connection and, and courage in your life that you're, you're proud of. Yeah, I think it's actually the kitchen for me. And that's why I focus so much on the kitchen and cooking. Um, because it is like, it, it's the place to me, I had a, this makes me think of my first blog, like right when I became a dietitian, it's like, I don't think it's there anymore. But it's like, really old style blog. <laughs> it looks more <laughs> nice. like a like live journal kind of thing. Oh my gosh. That sounds amazing. Tasty, I know, right? Oh, cool. It was called Tasty Table Topics. And I still even then loved the idea of like the kitchen being and the table being like the place to have courage and the place to have conversations and the place to come mm-hmm. back to when you need support from like a loved one or a friend. So for me personally and professionally, I like I think the kitchen is just like the best spot to learn and to play and to embrace yourself and to feel connected to your home and your roots. And, um, so yeah, even like just personally, the kitchen has always been a really powerful space to learn in whether I'm actually cooking or whether I'm writing or sitting on the countertop talking with a friend, like it just has so many powerful memories for me that make me feel much more trusting within myself. Mm, I love that. There's so much like imagery, like positive imagery. I always say like where humans are motivated by emotion. And I feel like, I don't know, at least for me hearing you describe that, I'm like, Ooh, I want more of that. Right. Like I, that's it. Mm-hmm. Cooking and sitting down at the table is something we really struggle with. And I very much have hopes to improve it over time. Um, and I don't beat myself up about it too much, but yeah. like, okay. but yeah, like who doesn't want that? Right. Like this idea of like authentically connecting with yourself, with your family and, and figuring out how to do that with your loved ones. And, uh, so I love, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) So tell people where they can learn more about the work that you're doing and connect with you. Yeah. So they can, 
Um, you can find me on, Inst- I am on social media, but <laughs> me too, <laughs> right? Although no, I don't really Aaron. do it myself. <laughs> yeah. So, um, they can find me the kitchen invitation. They can also go to the kitchen invitation.com. Um, they can write to me, Jesse at the kitchen invitation.com. It's Jesse with just an I and, um, anyone or any of those ways you can write to me, you can learn with me, you can come cook with me. I do a lot of like cooking classes. I do like just a lot of different things. And I, I try to keep it lighthearted and fun. And nice. uh, I'm here for those conversations or those private conversations too. I always like people to remember you can DM. Yeah. I mean, as you probably know too, like we can't help too much in a DM. It's only so far yeah. that you can do things, but I can usually provide a couple of resources if that's what someone's needing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was really, really fun getting to talk with you today. Yeah. I sense a lot of more conversations in our future. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. You're welcome. If you're anything like me, you may at times really feel like there's so much pain in the world that it's pretty overwhelming. And even though I do my best to avoid the news, it's hard to avoid feeling helpless at times that you can't do anything to make positive change. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's one positive change that I've made in terms of where I buy my books, and I'd invite you to do the same. Bookshop is a website that supports local bookstores near you, as well as affiliates that work with them. So if you buy through the bookshop link, you're going to be supporting local bookstores near you in the U.S. and Canada, and you're going to be supporting my blog and podcast. It's kind of like a tip jar. Did you know that if nothing slows their momentum, Amazon will have about 80% of the book market by the end of 2025? Look, I have Amazon Prime. I love the convenience, but this is a super cool way that you can do something positive with where you buy your books and support some really positive causes. Make sure you check it out. You can find all of my favorite books about health and wellness, but also about topics like courage, vulnerability, and even some of my favorite fiction and kids books for the times when you just need some fun, downtime, or some meaningful stories. My recent favorite is related to improving the quality of our lives and the way we use technology, and really doing so from a value-based place. No pressure. It's not going to tell you that technology is bad. It's just going to help you to evaluate for you where the pros outweigh the cons and where they don't. So if you believe in supporting local, controlling the things that you can, please consider buying your books through Bookshop and through the Psychology of Wellness link. You can find that in the show notes, or you can go to drshawnhondorp.com. That's D-R-S-H-A-W-N-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash bookshop. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard, and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.